who's enjoyed journeying through this book of 1 John? Who did their homework? Wave your journal at me if you got it. Now open it to page one and wave me the, your completed study. Page two. Do your homework, guys. I'm not seeing a lot of journals being waved at me. Now, why are we going through this book? It's because we can't wait to journey through it together. You know, we can discover things about the Bible individually, but there's a power when we come together knowing that Monday through Friday, we're all journeying through that same scripture and exploring it and hearing different things. And then we get to come back together and share that with one another. We study the Bible every Sunday. It's nothing super special, um, but it is a powerful moment. And I, I just want you to know that when you open up your journal, you don't have to write something super profound every time. You don't have to feel that pressure. It is your time with God. Forget about everyone else. Just open it up. Hey, God, would you speak to me today? Read it. Write a scripture down. It's not meant to be a painful process. It's not meant to be a process where you feel pressure to discover something. It's just meant to be a time, an intentional time for you with God. Are we ready? Let's jump straight in. The text for today comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This morning, I want to talk about wasted love. Everyone say, wasted love. love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for all of these incredible people. Lord, I thank you for the mountain moments in life where we can come together and just celebrate the joy that comes from you. But Lord, I also thank you that when we're in those low spots, in the valleys that that I have this church that comes around me, that encourages me, that we lift each other up. And so this morning, Lord, wherever your people are at, Lord, you know. And so God, would you speak to them individually, exactly where they are at, what they need to hear from you. So God, we can do this journey together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever wasted anything? Put your hand up if you've wasted something before. That's right, everyone. We've all wasted something in life, haven't we? Our parents tell us that we're pretty much born into this society that tries to train you not to waste things, right? The definition for waste is to consume, to spend, empty uselessly or without adequate return, to use to no avail or profit, to squander. And I just found that as I was growing up and now as a parent, that I spend just most of my life trying to train my kids not to waste stuff. And I had this realization, I thought it was just me, I thought I was just a resourceful guy, until I remembered one of my favorite moments of childhood, which was every Friday evening, we'd go to HJ's for dinner. And it was a special moment for me. That was the greatest restaurant 
that you could ever attempt. I never got exposed to any other restaurant. But as I was walking into HJ's, what would always happen is, you know, they got the big shiny menu, all of the options. And as a kid, you start to plan out what you're getting. But mum and dad would always say, no, no, we've got a special menu. It's this little paper menu. You get those in fancy restaurants. Don't worry about the one on the screen. Check out this paper menu. And it was odd because there was things missing on these that there was on there, but they told us this was the special one, and so we'd order from that every single Friday until we discovered that they were just the vouchers, right? The easy meals, the cheap meals. Did I just call mum and dad cheap? No. They were resourceful, not cheap, but they were training us not to waste anything. It's the reason when I dated Lee that I'd never been to a real restaurant. I had no idea what I was doing, and it's probably the reason that actually the first time I took Lee to a restaurant was with my mother-in-law's voucher that was about to expire, because you cannot waste anything. And so I said to Lee, I'm going to take you out to a nice, fancy restaurant. You can only order a limited amount of things, because I'm bad. I'm bad. We got all these efforts, all of this training, all of this parenting to try and teach us not to waste everything. But what's our reality? We all waste things in life. What is that about? Maybe for you, it's wasting time. You know you're wasting time, not here this morning, but elsewhere throughout your week. Maybe you know you're wasting money. Maybe that sounds like the voice of your wife or your husband. Maybe you know that you're wasting energy. I wonder whether you've ever thought about whether you've wasted love. Maybe even a better question, is it possible to waste love? Is it possible to waste love? In week one, we looked at how John, in this book, the author of 1 John, establishes this foundation that God is light. What does it mean? God is powerful. God is pure. God has a purpose from you. And then we looked at how whether we like it or not, apart from God, we are dark. But the good news is that he sent his son as an advocate for us to die on the cross to forgive us our sins so that he could offer life. And this letter that John writes, we call it 1 John and it was written in 90 AD. It was written to a Jewish audience and its theme was to expose the radical love of God. But John just doesn't stop at exposing the radical love of God for humanity. He begins to talk about what does it look like as a Jesus follower in our response to that love. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for them, love for the Father is not in them. And maybe for you this morning, it's your first time in church, you've never really opened up the Bible and you're like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty Christian verse to me. But maybe for you, you've actually been part of a church for a long time, you know your Bible well, and as you read this scripture, you think, am I catching John in a contradiction here? You see, John, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, But he was also the author of one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as John says here, do not love the world, 
You might be thinking, but what about John 3.16? Perhaps one of the most famous scriptures ever. For God so loved the world. And we go, which one is it, John? Do we love the world or do we not? I thought we were meant to do what God does. If God loved the world, then why don't we love the world? Which one is it? I'm confused. But the answer, it's actually pretty simple. John is using the word word world with two different definitions. In our text today, in 1 John chapter 2, when he uses this world, he's talking about an idea, a system of thinking, a way of thinking. It's almost like a paradigm of, of Satan's thinking and his way, which put simply is to edge God out. And actually, in your reading this week, in your journal, you're going to get to this bit where John begins to talk about Antichrist. And we're all like, ooh, the Antichrist. And John says that there's already been an Antichrist among you. And the reason that he's saying this is because in that time, there was this false teaching going around of people preaching to the Christians saying the idea of Jesus, the idea of a savior is correct, but he wasn't actually a man. He hasn't actually arrived and they were anti-Christ. We get super spiritual and super, you know, mystical and go anti-Christ and we start thinking of the book of Revelation and Second Thessalonians and this person that will come and invade the world with evilness and take over with darkness and it's real and it's true. But hear me this morning, there is a spirit of antichrist in our cities that is trying to edge God out even now. You don't need to over-spiritualize it. When John says, don't love the world, John is just saying, don't love the system that wants to edge God out. Don't love the system that wants to edge God out. I know one time... I got a call on a Saturday from a beautiful couple that were coming into the building to pray. And they pray through the spaces and just for our church and for you. And, and they gave me this call and said, hey, we uh, arrived and found the door ajar. And as we came in, there was a man here. And it was this really vague, vague story. And I, okay, can you come down and just have a chat with us? Okay, okay. So Lee and I came down and as we walked through the doors... We discovered this guy, no shirt, tattoos, head to toe, just in his shorts. And and I instantly knew why they were pretty vague over the phone because they were standing right next to him. And he said, don't worry, I wasn't trying to steal anything. The till was empty. (laughs) I thought that was... (laughs) That was an odd way to put it. But as I actually walked over to him, I realized these tattoos were 666... Uh, devil horns up here, a huge demon on his back. And I was kind of thinking, have I literally walked into the end times? Has the Antichrist arrived? And we can kind of be like that sometimes, looking around with this suspicion of people. But he was a person like you and I. But maybe he was under the influence of a spirit that wanted to edge God out. Our reality is, and what I'm trying to say is that we don't have to waste our time predicting the end times. 
Is this the Antichrist? Is he the Antichrist? The Spirit is already here. It's when people try to edge God out. When John says, for God so loved the world, in John chapter 3, what he's saying is that God loves the people. He loves humanity. He loves you and I, but he doesn't love our way of thinking. He doesn't love humanity's ways of thinking or their ways of this world, but he loves the people so much that he sent his son. Is that making sense this morning? If you want to know your value to God, if you want to know your worth to God, your worth to God is Jesus. He sent his son to die on the cross for you, to save us from our sins. And what are sins? We talked about this last week. Sins are the identity and thinking of the world apart from God. God loves the world, but hates sin. So he sent his son Jesus to the world to forgive us of our sins so that we would no longer have to think like the world. John is saying that when we love the world, when we buy into the ways and the thinking of this world, that it drives out love for the Father. I want you to write this down this morning. Love of the world drives out love for the Father. We encourage you to take notes every week. But this time is special because you go to journal, so you get to write it down. And I don't know if you know, but research tells us that those who make more notes get larger mansions in heaven. I'll have one for you every week. When you focus on the world, you forget the magnificence and the brilliance of the Father. When we dwell on the world, the thinking of the world, the systems of the world, we're missing out on relationship with the Father. Love of the world drives out love for the Father. But if that's true, then it must also be true that the love for the Father drives out love for the world. Love for the Father drives out love for the world. We need to get it right. Because some of you are already thinking, all right, I hate the world. I'm done with the world. I'm getting out of the world. I'm done with its ways of thinking. I hate it. Yet that'll last till Wednesday, maybe Thursday, and you will buy straight back into it. It's not hatred for the world. It's love for the Father. Focusing on God and the rest gets into proper perspective. It's what Dr. Amen said when he led us in communion last week. As we remember him, we forget the rest. You know, on Sunday morning, we aren't reminding God of who he is. We're here lifting up his name and worshiping him, acknowledging that we need a reminder sometimes of who he is. And as we magnify God, the things of this world, they become strangely dim. As I magnify God, my problems get into perspective. Love for the Father drives out love for the world. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're no match for the world. You're no match for the world. You can hate it all you want. You can reject it all you want. But hating the world, rejecting the world, isn't what gives you power over the world. How do we overcome darkness? With light. How do we overcome evil? With good. The question is, what is driving the world? 
What is this system of thinking that I've been talking about? What is driving the world? We're letting the Bible preach this morning. And John leads us directly there in verse 16. He says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. John brings our attention to three things in this scripture. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life that come not from God, but from the world. Lust of the flesh just means living for pleasure. Whatever my appetite is, if it feels good, I do it. If it doesn't feel good, I don't do it. Problem with that way of thinking is what happens when what once feels good begins to feel bad. We don't understand if we keep feeding the flesh, our flesh will eat us from the inside out. It's the problem with sin. Sin gives birth to more sin. I like to think about it this way. You know the story of Adam and Eve? We talked about it last week. Eve eats the fruit from the tree and and disobeys God. She chooses her way over God's way. That's the very first sin recorded in the Bible. Correct? The second recorded sin in the Bible is Cain killing Abraham. You see where I'm going here? Abel. Thank you. Taking notes. Love it. (laughs) The second recorded sin is Cain killing Abel. That's a big, that escalated quickly from eating fruit to homicide. Right? But that's the nature of sin. Sin leads to death. We serve a God that gives us our own free will. He loves us so much that he wants us to love him back with our own free will. It's our choice. I think about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who who exercised his own free will to take his inheritance early. And the father, he gave that over to him. And the Bible tells us that he wastes it. He squanders it. It actually says that he wastes it on wild living. And then ends up in a pig pen. Ends up in a pig pen. And from that place there, he actually says that, wouldn't it be greater to just be even a servant in my father's house than I was here? I don't want to live my life storm after storm after storm, drama after drama, pig pen after pig pen. Because there's two ways that we learn in life through revelation and through rock bottom, like the prodigal son. How many people know that we can learn from each other? If you stumble, I don't have to stumble. If you make a mistake, I don't have to make a mistake. I have a feeling as we trust God and start to not listen to the temptation of our flesh that he's going to lead us into the destiny that he called us to. Sin leads to death. Your flesh will fail you. Your flesh will fail you. John says this world is driven by the lust of the flesh, but also the lust of the eyes. In Matthew 6, Jesus himself says that the eyes are the gateway to the soul. And you're in church now, and you all look good 
now. You all look really wholesome. But how many people know that when we walk out these doors, that we're going to see some stuff that can cause us to stumble? You're saved, but you're not blind. Yeah? So you're sitting there like really spiritual. I've got no idea what you're talking about, Josh. Stop. It's true. This world is driven by comparison. It's driven by this heart to just want more. More of what? More than you. Why? Because if I can have more than you, I'm better than you. And if I'm better than you, then I'm probably okay. It's the lust of the eyes. But here's the problem. Wherever comparison begins, contentment ends. Wherever comparison begins, contentment ends. I thought I was pretty cool with my Hyundai i30. And then my best mate goes and buys a Ford Ranger. And suddenly I'm trying to justify why working in an office at a church, I need a ute. I was happy with the i30 before I saw the ute. And you were happy until you began to compare. Look at this scripture that Leray led us in. Matthew 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We talked about this. We can talk about what we value, but if we really want to know what we value, we look at what we invest in. But now look what Jesus says next. He starts to talk about our eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus is talking about money here, but you can put any word in there. You can put any word. It's whatever our eyes are lusting after. The fastest way to forget who God says you are is to start listening to what everyone else says you are. As comparison begins, contentment ends. John is trying to tell us the world's been driven by the lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, and lastly, pride of life. The first two are all about getting something. But the last one's all about what you have. It's all about your accomplishments, your accolades, as if success means something and the size of your bank will somehow impress God. Think about this for a second. Can you name who was the guest on the 7pm project three weeks ago? Can you name me who won the Norm Smith medal in 1972? Can you name me who won Australian of the Year in 2002? I love my fridge because I love food. But can you name me who invented the fridge? These people all did extraordinary things. These people all did incredible things, but they're nothing to boast about. They're nothing to build your life on. Why? Because when you live by the pride of life, you either walk into inferiority 
or superiority. And neither of them honor God. You either walk into inferiority or superiority. You either get it wrong or you get it right. And you live in the dream, but not honoring God. Boiled down, John is telling us the world is driven by a passion for pleasure and a pride in possessions. Passion for pleasure and a pride in possessions. Who knows that word that we use in church, worldly? It came from the older generation. Worldly, that's so worldly. Do you know what I'm talking about? It usually means things in culture. Movies, certain songs, the way you dress, jeans with holes in them. So worldly. And I'm not saying those things can't be worldly, but we need to look at our definition of worldly because our definition of worldly is not just things that exist outside of the church. The definition of worldly is not just things that exist outside of the church. It's something that we deal with on a daily basis. It's when we let our pride of possessions drive us. It's when we let the passion of pleasure take over and we edge God out. When desire for pleasure drives me, when pride of possessions define me, I'm stepping into the world. I like to think about it like this. You know when you go to Bali, you need the adapters to charge and change all of your PowerPoints? I, when I went to Bali just recently, pre-COVID, weeks before pre-COVID, just a couple, luckily. Oh, wouldn't it be bad to be stuck in Bali? Um, but what I found is each day that I went to Bali, I had my phone, I'd plug it into the wall, I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up in the morning, and the phone was dead. I was like, what's going on? Next day, try a different plug, phone dead. I went and bought another adapter. I thought the problem was the adapter. I plugged it into the wall, woke up in the morning, phone was dead again. It wasn't until I discovered that the power in my amazing hotel room was enough to turn the charging light on, but not actually enough to build the charge in it, to actually increase the battery life. And it just began to die. And I kind of thought it's similar to how we treat life. You've got to know that whatever you plug into is empowering you. And you've got to make sure that what you're plugging into isn't broken. You've got to make sure that what you're plugging into isn't going to blow up on you. You've got to make sure that what you're plugging in won't break down on you. What you're driving won't break down on you. And these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, time and time again, they take us further than we want to go. They keep us longer than we want to stay. And they always cost more than we are willing to pay. And it's no new idea. It's the strategy of the enemy since the beginning of time. Think about Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve in the garden again. The serpent comes and says you should eat that fruit. And it tells us that Eve perceived it to be good. It was a lust of the eyes and the lust of her flesh to want more. I want to taste that thing. 
And then we know that the serpent tells her that she'll have God-like status, all the wisdom of this world. And it was the pride of life that drove her. It's the three-punch move of Satan. And I wish it stopped in Genesis chapter 3, but we look at Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus is in the wilderness and the devil comes again to tempt him and says, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Because you're hungry. Because we so desperately need as humans, we think we need this immediate gratification. It's the lust of the flesh. And then he takes him and he shows him a city and a space and he says, you can have everything here. If you bow down to me, it was the lust of the eyes. And then he takes him to the edge and he says, jump off here. Save yourself if you truly are the son of God. Prove to me that what you have defines you. The pride of life. And the enemy, he keeps attacking even to 2020 with the same three-punch combination. And we keep falling for it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, a pride in possessions. In our life, this is how the enemy comes. He wants us to be driven by those things, but here's the deal. Those things will break down on you. How do I know? Because it's not no way to live a life. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The world is no place to plug into. It'll always take more than you put into it. It's a bad investment. If I told you I had a stock that you should buy, but in 12 months time, it's going to be empty. It will be worth nothing. What would you do? You'd go, see you later, mate. Because we invest expecting a return, right? John says the world is passing away. The kingdom of God lives forever. The world, it gives back less than you give. But notice that John doesn't say, hate the world. He doesn't say, hate the world. He says, do not love the world. How do I drive out love for the world? Love for the Father. You know what he's saying? He's saying that, you know that saying, hate the sin, love the sinner? I'm not against the tattoo. If you've got it, I'm not against the idea. Jesus, God hated sin. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. But that is a man-made idea. You can walk in here every Sunday going, I hate sin. I hate sin. You can get the tattoo. You can get the t-shirt. I hate sin. But your sin, your hate isn't strong enough. That's why we need a savior. A hatred for the world. It's not good enough. A hatred for doing wrong. It's not good enough. It's love for the Father. And I wonder if you've been wasting your love on the world. When you could be making the investment of a lifetime with our God. By going all in with God. What would happen and instead of living here and here and having this part of the life in, in the world and this part of my life with God, what if we put all 
of our focus? What if we put all of our energy? What if we put all of our praise, all of our worship, all of who we are into the solution? The greatest investment that we could ever make. What if we put it all into there, into our awesome God? That it's not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. You've got to know this morning that if you are following after Jesus, then the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. And that's where you can find your power. That's the only power in this life that's going to charge your battery. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing this song and declare that no matter how I'm feeling, no matter where I've got my gratification from before, I'm going to declare this morning that it is my God, that it's my awesome God. I'm going to declare my love for the Father. And if there's a part of you that maybe you feel it keeps going back to that same trap that you keep plugging into that same wall. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's success. Why don't this morning, instead of trying to focus on that and make that problem bigger, focus on our King and our God because as we lift up His name, His Spirit on the inside of you is going to start to burn away all of that. It's love for the Father that drives out love for the world. Why don't we lift up His name right now and worship?